LinkedIn presents. The pants on the rock in Jumanji. So we made the, if you, so if you think about the movie poster Jumanji, he's in a safari shirt and he's got green pants on and they have pockets on the lap. And he's got this big leather belt with like, I've got a big giant machete in it or something. Those are our pants. We made those pants. Those are our Raider pants. And so we made custom set for him for the movie. So we, we made custom size for him. He's got the incredible dimensions. He's just superhuman. <laughs> I mean, I love The Rock and I love him so much. His Instagram feed is the best Instagram feed on the, the web. Anyway, uh, but yeah, it was really cool to be in like all the movie posters and all that. But what's interesting from an entrepreneurial standpoint, it's so hard to get anything out of that other yeah. than, I mean, our label's not on it. There's no notoriety. Uh, yeah, other than notoriety, there's not much else we can't use the rock. Yeah, we slapped it on the web a little bit and Instagram and social, and he's not going to run with it. He's, you know, that's not his business. His yeah. business is making money. <laughs> but yeah, there's been a lot of movies and stuff, which is super fun, but it's hard to, it's hard to convert. Welcome to Entrepreneur Struggle, where each week we talk to founders and freelancers about their journey creating and scaling up their business. My name is Chris Colbert, and I'm the founder and CEO of the media company DCP Entertainment, as well as the video and podcast recording space, Podstream Studios Times Square. This season, we are part of the LinkedIn Podcast Academy, so make sure to check out our show notes for information about our weekly newsletter and live events. In this conversation, I'm talking to Chris Cronin, the co-founder of the family-operated clothing and apparel business, Kaitanica. As you heard, you've probably seen their high-quality pants, shirts, and jackets in movies and TV shows without ever knowing it. We talk about what it's like trying to scale production, the challenges of working with tight margins, and how they found and continue to expand their target consumers. But we'll start with what led to the creation of their brand, Kaitanica. So my brother... William Cronin, Beach Cronin, he goes by Beach, uh, sure, long for BJ, um, Bill John. But he is a clothing designer and has been designing clothes since he was a kid. Uh, probably started around 11 or 12 on our mom's sewing machine uh, with random fabrics and stuff. But he started with a cheese, making a cheesemaker shirt, which was like kind of like a Three Musketeers, really crazy sleeves with big pleats and stuff. Um, and he he made it successfully from a pattern that he bought at my mom's like craft store. And my mom wasn't a big crafter at all. She just like knitted some. Um, he bought it, made it, didn't love it. And she started changing it and started, he's like, well, if you straighten out the sleeve and you do this, and he just has this mind for design uh, for clothes and stuff. And so he then made a, like a simplified version that's just a shirt and and then he put a little hand embroidered uh, Pink Floyd pyramid on it, the 3D <laughs> pyramid, and like hand stitched a, a little logo on it. And um, that was when he was like 12 or so. So, but he's he's a, a like a savant in terms of design and sewing. He can sew everything we make. He's sewed samples of everything we make. And if you look at our stuff, our stuff is intense. Some of our jackets have. 200 pieces like in, in wow. its construction zippers and snaps and all the the build materials is extensive and the fabrics are really heavy duty so it is a little bit more like engineering because a lot of them are used for motorcycling and different kind of heavier industrial applications 
and really just built to last forever. But that that's where it started. It was like, he makes these awesome things. We're like, well, we should sell them. <laughs> that's kind of how it started. And I'm assuming like it started small scale because clearly he's probably doing all the stitching himself. So like, how do you then go from that to now like, you know, mass producing? Um, well, arguably we're still small scale compared to like brands like North Face and, you know, Arteryx and these other kind of high end, not that North Face, North Face has high end stuff, but they have also got low end stuff. But the, um, yeah, well, it started in his literally in his garage um with a couple sewing machines there uh then hired a sew guy to help there then len our uh cousin um started sewing too and came he was living up in up north in california this is when they were out here in uh, 2007 or so he started coming down every week and sewing and making stuff and that was you know we we, we were making everything that we were selling and um that has now you know we've got sewers and a factory and a lot of warehouse space for storage of all the goods that we make and we've used some contractors but that's one of the struggles to use your word is the like trusting other people to make things because you can just get so over your skis when you get a, a you know, you get your goods back from the contract when they've ruined all the fabric and made something that you can't really sell under your brand name. And it's kind of nobody wants anyway, because it's not made properly and has things gone wrong. So we make most of our stuff ourselves, and that's probably hurt us a bit, but we make very technical stuff and there's not a lot of sewing done in the United States, as you know. Um, yeah. So. Well, well and that was part of my question too especially when you mentioned like how many pieces like you know for a jacket or something all these different pieces that go into it like that sounds very intricate and very particular and if you're not trusting somebody with that like you know it, the wrong placement just ruins the entire design or what you were really trying to go for um, yeah and it, it it happens you know whatever can go wrong will go wrong kind of thing when it comes to manufacturing and you take your eyes off of somebody making your stuff and it can be a disaster. Um, and yeah, so we, there's certain things that only we will sew and not really trust other people to do. Um, because just out of experience, you know, well, and especially cause you're also manufacturing here in the U S. So even when you are, you know, using third parties, you know, to help you create this stuff, I'm sure that that's very expensive. And if you're not, you know, selling at a certain rate, like what has kind of been, uh, your experience in trying to create, you know, this high quality, you know, stuff, this stuff that is very unique to to what your brand is, while also trying to make sure that you're you're not, you know, spending more money than you're making. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the battle because the margins and everything's tighter. Excuse me. The margins and everything is tighter in uh, U.S. made goods, especially goods made in California, with minimum wage being quite high and. Uh, relative to the rest of the country or something made in Mexico or China or, you know, where most clothes are made and in Asia, that's the struggle. And we've, we're really good at making stuff, but we're not great at selling stuff. And we're, <laughs> we're, I even say our expertise is on the design side and we are looking to, you know, for retailers and that that's where we also get tripped up a bit is that our margins that we can afford retailers. I mean, we would just, if we offered, um, on the domestic stuff, what we off, what people offer with uh, Asian-made goods, it's 
just we wouldn't be making any money and you, we wouldn't be in business. So, um, and retailers aren't ready, you know, they're not willing to go there. <laughs> you know, they they are like, oh, well, this is America made. This is, this is a different product. It's, it's built better. It's got better materials. It's all this attention's been paid to make it last forever. And it's like, well, yeah, retailers want you, know, you to come the, back and buy more stuff. You can't have this stuff last forever. How dare you? People have to collect our stuff. Well, I've got 14 pairs of your shorts in each camo you've ever made. And, uh, it's true. They do. And then once, I mean, they do last our stuff lasts so long. We use heavier fabrics. We use stronger thread, which is like secret sauce. It's like, yeah, use so everything with boot thread and it won't fall apart <laughs> if you use good materials. <laughs> did it, did it take you guys a while or, or maybe you knew right out the gate, like who your, your niche audience is? Cause it sounds very much like it's an active lifestyle brand or, or, you know, you're catering to people with an active lifestyle. Um, but yeah, did, did it take a while to kind of figure out what that niche was going to be for you all? It's still under development. I mean, honestly, finding new customers and like things emerge and trends emerge that where you're like, oh, those guys would love our stuff. They need stuff that lasts. They're in the dirt. They like get dirty and uh, live outdoors. And um, originally when we were making stuff in Manhattan or and I keep saying Manhattan, it was actually Brooklyn. We were just making industrial streetwear and mm. jumpsuits and like things that like really heavy duty jackets out of ballistic nylon with padded spines and stuff. And we still make some of those, but um, we didn't know what we were making them for. We were just making them because they were cool. They looked like uh, <laughs> Blade Runner clothing, you know, like totally futuristic, but also bomb proof and a little bit aggressive on the aesthetic, which was great for New York. Um, but people would always ask us like, who do you make these for? What are these? Who buys these? And we're like, our retailers were Japanese boutiques that would buy them. And they'd be like, this is crazy. <laughs> like we want to, <laughs> you know, they're kind of wacky sometimes and have a wacky fashion sense. Sometimes. But, um, ultimately what happened was we found a customer in, uh, veterans and uh, shooting sports enthusiasts, um, and like that military uh special forces started to buy our stuff because we started to make some so we're leaned into the shooting sports and this outdoor enthusiast that's it's not hunting but it's more like camping and um what is now overlanding used to call four by four or motocross oh i haven't heard that overlanding there's this overlanding trend right now it's huge it's growing it's everyone takes their awesome four by fours throws a lot of ground clearance equipment on them toe and uh toe bars and winches and go it's it's big in the west it's very big in the west um with utah you know moab and the the deserts out here um people four by four on the rubicon trail um and um it's a really big scene and those guys need heavy duty stuff because they're outside all the time they're four wheeling in the rain they're in the mud in the winter they go all the time and um it's those so now we're we're talking to those guys and building out you know some items for them that make sense for their kind of activities but yeah it's it's it, it's been pretty interesting um so we started making some stuff and special forces paid note to our we may start made some combat stuff so combat pants we have a pant called the raider pant it has padded knee super fabric on the knee which is this crazy impenetrable fabric that's 
it's actually uh, permeated with uh, or impregnated is the word impregnated with ceramic so it's like really hard and it's like a shell over the knee but it's nice and articulated we have a knee pad insert for it but there's a 13 pockets every pockets everywhere um but they're like a bdu you know they're battle dress uniform kind of pant and so special forces have leaned into those and those are one of our more popular items just because they're just they're really heavy duty and kind of like the ultimate pant yeah well and it's interesting too like i you know my companies are more in like the media space but we've always talked about oh like you know be great to create a shirt for this show or you know get some kind of merchandise or or you know things to be able to give to our listeners or sell to our listeners but then i always come back to especially when it comes to the clothing side like how do i know how many shirts to buy in medium and you know in this size and because yep. a lot of these times like if you want to get it to the consumer fast you need to have it in stock um, as opposed to just creating it when the right. order comes in. And for you all, like, obviously this is your entire business. How do you figure out how to stock, you know, enough for your clients or are you, you know, creating it, you know, when the, uh, the orders come in? We have done pre-orders before, which is something you might want to consider. Um, you know, Hey, if you want this shirt, you know, sign up, we're going to make them in September. Um, mm. and then you don't have any extra inventory. Um, so we do that with certain specialty goods that we make, um, we have a three quarter length short that goes over the knee that has a million pockets and is really expensive, and, um, but completely overbuilt and worth every penny, of course. But <laughs> there are only certain people going to want something that goes over the knee, you know, in terms of a short. It's kind of funky. It's like a man pre, tactical capri, whatever you want to call it. But they're badass. And they, um, so we, we only make them certain times of the year. It makes sense and we pre-order them you know so we don't have we're not sitting on a bunch of them over the course of the year uh one of the things that we do look at is historical so there's a bell curve to the sizes and the popularity of you know the 34 waist say on a pair of pants is going to sell more than 46 um or you know the or the really small sizes um it's just kind of how people are built and that so that historical informs basically what we do moving forward so it's like okay how oh we sold out of those quickly why are we out of 34s everyone's a 34 like you know like so we just just kind of manage it that way um but you're always going to have that's you know the thing with clothing is you're always going to have extra sizes otherwise you're out you know yeah uh, and wait being our own manufacturer it's kind of cool because we can backfill size so like okay well let's let's bust out some some you know let's backfill this so we stock it back up and we're not making the sizes that we don't need and already have on yet so we do that quite well um to help mitigate like all the extra inventory or being out of sizes for too long yeah that makes sense and yeah i like that pre-order idea we gotta we definitely gotta look into that now you mm-hmm. obviously we make, run- we make embroidered goods by the way we we embroider goods we're a beautiful hoodie we do a lot of that for for manufacturers of other things Oh, well, we might have to reach out to you all then. <laughs> yeah, give me a call. <laughs> um, but you obviously run, you know, this business with your brother, as you said, you know, that's re- really where it first started. But then obviously your cousin mm-hmm. came into the mix as well. You know, what is it like creating and running a business with family? Um, and has like that dynamic changed over time for you and just like how you all work together? Uh, definitely. It's great. There's a lot of trust. You have, uh, you know, a lot of trust that everyone's got each other's best interest at mind. You know, I trust those guys with my life. I wouldn't, they're not going to screw me. You know, they're not going to try to get one over. There's no battle for like, I want this, 
you don't need that or you you know so that that's really kind of nice and and it's i almost take it for granted sometimes but just because you're in the moment all the time in terms of like challenge here challenge there um and then sometimes there's it's a little different because it is family you know it's like well you know there's there's all that history from from childhood we grew up together we literally spent a lot of time together growing up like len and i our cousin were thick as thieves all through high school and just college and and just um and still are and um yeah it's great it's just uh, just a family business it just definitely has a different dynamic to it than sometimes it can get unprofessional let me say that. <laughs> i'll just leave it there where it can be less than professional because we know each other so well and i don't mean like dirty jokes or something like that but i just mean like <laughs> screaming at each other exactly you know and that that's what i mean it's it's uh yeah i mean i think that's the best way to answer that and you know to to that point you know i feel like you know i so i come and people who've listened to this podcast know I've, I've talked about this before but i come from a family of entrepreneurs my mom is an entrepreneur my sister is as well and a lot of us will involve family and business in some sorts of ways and you know, it doesn't always necessarily work out well because there is a lot of bleeding of relationships of like, okay, when are we talking personal stuff? When are we talking business stuff? And, um, you know, is there certain boundaries that you try to set or that, you know, that you and your team, your, you know, your sibling, then your, your, your cousin try to set with each other of, okay, this is business time, this is work time, or do you just let it all kind of bleed together? Yeah, it does kind of bleed together. I don't think we, it's almost like taking a break when you talk about family stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let's, you stop thinking about like, hey, how are you going to make numbers this month? Let's talk about dad. What's going on? With <laughs> you know, like uh, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it, it's not calculated in terms of how we're conversation. You know, how the conversations are going. But there's, you know, we we try to stay focused when we will sit down and have a meeting, and we're not going to, you know, get into like family dynamics or anything until after that's over. You know so that we can kind of get through what we need to get through on that, that side, because the other conversation can be sprawling. <laughs> potentially. Is, is it something where you all are, are, you know, hoping to pass this down as well? You know, obviously you guys have created something, but I'm sure, you know, you, some of you guys may have kids. Like, is this something that you want to make a family legacy? Uh, that's a great question. My kids, I have, I have two kids. My brother doesn't have kids. Len doesn't have kids. So not really. They, if, if my kids were in it, and wanted and leaned into it and wanted to work there and uh they're older they're like 21 and 18 right now um they haven't really raised their hand or said hey do you need help or you know can i work there this summer and never gotten any of that from them. <laughs> so um it, but if they did it would be a different scenario you know like hey if you want to run you know that that would be awesome but i don't see that for them and my dad gave me the option to he had his own business he was uh um all of our dad my mine and beach's dad and then len's dad also worked with my dad uh his name's john they had cronin and company uh, advertising agency in connecticut and those guys gave us the the freedom to do what we wanted my dad didn't have that so my dad's dad started it back in the depression or whatever the great depression and he 
he pulled my dad into it because it was growing so fast. Like right as my dad graduated college, he knew exactly where he was. He was just going to go work there. And he was like, kind of, you know, he looks back on that. I was like, oh, I wonder what would happen if I went and chased whatever I wanted to chase versus what my dad needed me to chase. And so he wanted me to have that freedom. And so my kids have that freedom too, because I respect that. Um, of them. So it's nice. Nice. Yeah. I was saying with my mom, my mom had a computer consultant business. I'm like, no, that's not for me. I, I could have taken it over <laughs> right. if, I, if she, you know, <laughs> she, she would have loved me too, but like, no, no, I, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Um, but it is so interesting to see that like the chronological, like, even though you weren't in the same, uh, you know, form of business as your, 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 your dad and, and also your uncle and even your grandfather, you know, that you still want to be an entrepreneur. Like, it sounds like that's something that's very much ingrained in your family is, is really running companies, uh, no, no matter what the, the industry might be. Yeah. And the making of things and selling of things is just fun. I just, you know, like it's, it's really rewarding. Um, I love having products that we get to think about and go, Oh no, dude, that looks stupid. But no, this, what would be cool is if we, and then, you know, and we have a lot of products and we're, like I said, we're really good at making stuff and like coming up with ideas that it's, it's a little bit like the easy part. It feels like to come up with products that we're, we have a laundry list of what we want to make still. And we, we've got a product list of about we have 40 different products that we make. So over the years and, um, yeah, it's just really fun and, and, and sales is fun. It's just, it's, it's a challenge when when you're doing it the hard way when you're making it in the united states and you've got a premium product and it's kind of niche too because not everyone needs a thousand denier jacket uh thousand denier cordura jacket um that you know is overbuilt um we make windbreakers too but the <laughs> you know like you know what i'm saying like it's yeah. it's our our stuff is is has got a tactical edge to it um but we're proud of what we make and and because no one else really makes what we make. So we feel like we've got a nice corner on the market on that S utility outdoor gear, you know. Well, and switching gears just for a second, because you had mentioned like you guys like like creating stuff. I think I saw you guys are like you've made a home. You've also made like a, a, a like a tennis ball launcher or like some kind of tennis yeah. ball gun. <laughs> like You guys yeah. just love to create, huh? <laughs> well, we're, we're we, that was a little bit of a testament to us growing up together. And, you know, Len built his own house up, wow. uh, that, and he lives in it today. I and mean, it's super nice, but he did it by him, you know, him, him and his wife. And, uh, uh, you know, we helped a bit, um, but he did, he did the majority of the work and coordinating it and uh, as contractor experience. And, um, you know, we were always just tinkering with stuff growing up. Um, back then we like, one of our favorite things to do is to go to the dump and pull parts for, uh, BMX bikes. So we, uh -huh. we would Frankenstein bikes from the dump and see, you go find a new rim for this one. that's all bent. And the, you know, we would literally go and make our moms take us to the dump so we could climb around in the trash pile. different dump than the dump <laughs> in Oakland. So like, you know, there would be like a scrap pile that was clean. This is in Connecticut in rural Connecticut. So it was like, you could pull parts. You wouldn't be climbing through everybody's residential debris, um, different deal. But, um, there's a scrap heap that we would just pull parts from and make bikes all day long. Like we would, we all had, nobody had a new bike. We just had until we were in high school, you know, like we were just pulling parts. So that's, 
we're just into that kind of thing. That's so cool. Well, back to, to Kaitanica, especially because of you know how intricate the pieces are that you make. I'm sure every once in a while you guys get returns and and you know maybe negative feedback, but especially more on the return side. I bring this up because like I do hiking and one of my partners does hiking and I know sometimes she's bought stuff and like literally used it on the hike and it's like, okay, I'm going to return it. Like she actually had no, she knew that she was going to return it from the beginning. She just wanted to use it and try it out um, and then return it. But I'm like, that can't be great for the manufacturer, you know? So, you know, for you guys, like I'm sure that ends up happening to you all. Sometimes people return stuff and like they try to claim it wasn't good, but like clearly you wore this and got something out of it. Like how do you handle returns and, and, you know, maybe negative feedback, but yeah, especially the returns that maybe aren't necessarily returns that were really based on a bad product. It was just the person trying to be cheap. Yeah. That's a no, no. Um, (laughs) I wouldn't do that to a business personally. That's a little shady, but it is returns are tough there and that's part you know with sizing we get stuff back oh yours doesn't fit like these guys or that you know sometimes you get stuff back when people's expectations of what a size is or isn't and so we try to really minute uh, minimize that with measurements on the side like hey where's your measure your waist this size fits a you know a 34 fits a 34 to 37 inch waist that kind of thing uh but People do, you know, sometimes it's really the exception for us. I think where somebody's like just trying to, you know, they use it and then they send it back. That's not super common, honestly. We're not Amazon, so we're the opposite. So (laughs) we're like looking at the returns when they come back. We don't just take that box and throw it in another bin for it to go back to the manufacturer. And so, yeah, and people have to basically, we have people pay the shipping back to us. Um, Uh Because if they're going to exchange, we're going to pay for the shipping back to them. So we split the shipping. So, you know, we're both vested in it. And if they're going to buy it, ship it to themselves, and then send it back after using it once, we won't refund it if it's been used. Okay. No, we'll just send it back to them. Like, no, this is yours now. You wore this. (laughs) You smoked a cigarette in this. Like, that ruins clothes. Like, that. We can't sell it. It shows up on some non-smoker's doorstep to open the box. Like, oh, "Oh my God, this kills me. What are you doing? And that's not that's not fair uh, to them and, and or to us. And so dog hair is another problem. Like if you've got like a really shaggy dog and, and you let the thing sit on your couch for a week and the dog's been living on the couch too and you wind up with, I mean, it's so hard to get dog hair out of clothing. And and so that that's always something. And, you know, we'll try to, and we'll spend time and money to like, fix it so we can just not have the issue with the customer but at a certain point like it says it's like totally used you got to take it back we're going to send it back to you and like no we're not refunding that that's (laughs) that's been consumed you know um you've broken the seal on those pair of pants (laughs) but yeah we do get some crap back but we also stand by our stuff and if something broke or isn't made right we want to see it and so we'll ask for photos and 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 then have them, you know, we'll either get it back if it's, if it's arguing for some reason and then fix it and send it back to them or nice. take it back, send them a new one and move on. We, we really mean to stand by everything we make because it's part of our DNA. Uh, so in terms of that kind of return, we want to see it first, you know, because we made it and we're like, okay, so what happened here? Mm-hmm. What did we do that didn't? It wasn't optimal if it if it was and sometimes it's a mistake or just an oversight or some you know anything can happen i think i saw too that uh 
you know, your clothing has been worn uh, by one of the hosts on, on Mythbusters. How, how did that come about? Yeah, that was early on. That was, so one of those jackets that my brother was making in his basement, um, Adam Savage of Mythbusters before Mythbusters was working with my brother's wife. So they're friends uh, and he bought one a long time ago, kind of out the gate. And he started when he got on Mythbusters, he was just wearing it as a jacket. He loves it. And it's totally crazy looking because it's like Hulk green has this giant collar padded spine, rifle recoil pads, got these like graduated pads for the shoulder. It's super cool. And you can find it online. We don't make them. We make a version of it, but it's, totally been redesigned and it's ah, limited way edition. sicker way <laughs> sicker now yeah yeah exactly but that was the impetus really to go like all right if we're going to sell these things we need to get paid for it because it costs a ton to make if we're not making any money if we're gonna so beach stopped making clothes started again once mythbusters started having that on tv and google one of his friends was looking for beach's address current address and he found this whole stream of forum chat about what's this jacket? Oh my God, oh, thing's wow. crazy. And like beach grown, made it. Da, 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 da. And so, um, he had, he was like teaching and like doing other things. And that kind of put him back on it to say like, Oh, there's all these people that want your jacket and they'll pay whatever. They wouldn't leave him alone about it. He's like, all right, it's $600. And so he started selling for $600 wow. and it was worth it. It was worth his time. So, that jacket kind of got us going. It's like, oh, people will pay if you make it and it's, they need it. Like somebody will buy that. Like I have to have that. That thing is, you know, never wear out. I always have it. I'll hand it down to my grandkids. You know, that's, that's kind of what we're after. And, uh, and so that, that spawned a lot. Of that. And he wore a lot of, he wore a lot on the show. So it's really funny that, that um, he has a NASA patch on it, ironically, because <laughs> now everyone's licensing NASA, which is in the, clothing space <laughs> it's pretty funny but um yeah adam is adam is a great guy such a genius and he's always been super great to us and they would even show the bug our bug logo on the uh, on air and stuff he would blur it out that's so cool like it created a cult following for you guys without you even realizing it yeah totally my brother was completely unaware that it was on tv he didn't watch tv he doesn't watch tv and i hadn't seen it and didn't uh, I knew of the show, of course, but I, I hadn't seen that like on the show. And then I realized like, oh, it's in a, a lot of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Another really public uh, kind of notable one was um, the pants on The Rock in Jumanji. So we made the, if you, so if you think about the movie poster Jumanji, he's in a safari shirt and he's got green pants on and they have pockets on the lap and he's got this big leather belt with like, I've got a, like giant machete in it or something those are our pants we made those pants those are our raider pants they're actually all season pants because they don't have the knee pad protection and all that because they're a little more subdued but we call them the all season pants and so we made custom set for him for the movie and um those guys the movie folks know us from trade shows that we do mm -hmm. and they found us through that so we we made custom sizes for him he's got these incredible dimensions he's just superhuman <laughs> i mean i love the rock and i love him so much his instagram feed is the best instagram feed on the the web and uh he's such a nice guy so noble uh rock for president then the producers of the show has made make a a, a little kids version of those pants and we don't know like what they said it was for a scene where he was like gonna be 
shrunk or something like that. And maybe it ended up on the <laughs> cutting room floor or whatever, uh, but it could have also been like a Halloween costume for one of the producer's kids or whatever. <laughs> I don't know, but it was a pain in the butt to size those things down to kid size. Grading clothes is not easy, especially when they have 150 pattern pieces like they all season pants. I mean, they have 13 pockets and each pocket has four pieces. So do the math. <laughs> like, it's a ton going on with those. Anyway, um, but yeah, that was really cool to be in like all the movie posters and all that. But what's interesting from an entrepreneurial standpoint, it's so hard to get anything out of that other yeah. than, I mean, our label's not on it. There's no notoriety. Uh, yeah, other than notoriety, there's not much else we you can't use the rock. Yeah, we slapped it on the web a little bit and Instagram and social and he's not going to run with it. He's, you know, that's not his business. His yeah. business is making money <laughs> and uh, he's very good at it. But yeah, there's been a lot of movies and stuff, which is super fun, but it's hard to, it's hard to convert unless they make like bat bad girl made 30 uh, jackets. And so we had designed mm. our, we made our jacket for women. And then so for the movie, and so we'll be releasing that at some point that makes sense, but they ordered 30 jackets like, okay, well that's, that could, that's monetized. Like, right. Uh, uh, versus a bunch of custom work that it has zero, uh, you know, you're making three of them or whatever like those pants but no oh, that's still really cool though so you're in the the Batgirl movie as well uh it's a tv show on um, oh that one okay sorry uh, yeah yep yeah 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 uh, um i think rose mcgowan was the lead in that yep it didn't it wasn't on air too long yeah i think it had um, a few but, seasons yeah yeah mm -hmm. the arrow bones a ton of different like kind of tv shows lost ship or the last ship the last ship yeah, I'm forgetting a bunch. Fast and Furious. We were on the rock in that. We made him a jacket. <laughs> it's cool. He he the 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 wardrobe guy had him sign it and send it back to us. So that was, oh that was wow, super. man. Well, yeah, that's that, those are incredible. Yeah, incredible uh, placements for you. But to your point, yeah, it, it's a little tough to then turn it into orders for yourself. Uh, right, exactly. Because um, it's funny how things like you like the jackets that we've made for like for fast and furious is like a really distinct jacket and got these big plastic buckles on the front but in a movie setting it's like they could have just made that for the one scene you know like mm -hmm. they have wardrobe departments that make stuff and it's so the lighting's always crazy and you never really see things it's kind of interesting uh, i've always had higher expectations that i've you know realized from uh from movies but I, I think it also stands a testament to your guys' work that, you know, obviously those are big budget projects and they're only going to, you know, they want top quality stuff for their actors for these things and, and things that are going to stand out. And I think, yes, even though it maybe hasn't translated to, to sales completely for you, like, you know, that you're, you can stand by your work, that these kind of people are, are ordering your stuff. Um, so that, that, yeah, I think that's really incredible. I think incredible. the capability is a big piece of it too, like being able to custom make small runs um change them per their spec oh can you do this thing in the tan versus the green that you have or um hey we need you know the baby size <laughs> we need um <laughs> you know that that kind of not everyone can do that and i mean especially with uh the clothes that they make and they're gonna want you know a minimum of a thousand pieces or like something like that you know like we have basically sample making ability that is um kind of bar none just because we've focused so much effort on manufacturing our own stuff yeah 
Well, you know, obviously, like that's a really, you know, those things are, are really big wins for you all. But yeah, what else is going well for you these days? So we did a crowdfunding where we've gotten into the crowdfunding space. Um, a lot to know there. And that's like its own separate podcast uh, because of the struggles and tribulations of running a crowdfunding. Um, it was our first one. We did Kickstarter. We um, made this awesome awesome fanny pack it's called the, the scorpion pack it is basically a fanny pack so you don't need a backpack and essentially it has a large um removable uh backpacking backpack uh belt waist belt and then it has a pack on the back of you know it's got its own it's a fanny pack but it's it's um it's it fits really well and you can put real weight in it and it has a bunch of attachments that we have for it. So it's got a water bottle holster for like the giant Valjeans and your Yetis and and different uh, things. It's got a load compressor. Anyway, we there I go talking product. Um, <laughs> I'll stop. The we did a, a crowdfunding for it. Sold, uh, hit our goal in five days, um, and raised one hundred twenty thousand dollars for it. So this is pre-selling, right? Um, but what what's interesting? I learned so much doing it, and um, the 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 Kickstarter. It's everyone will will. It, you're the only as an entrepreneur. You're the only one looking out for your profit and your margin, and everyone else in that game is there to diminish your profit, to sell more, to make themselves look better, um, to make the advertising look better to make everything look better. And so don't expect to make too much money if you're working with everybody that's uh, trying to volumize uh, the the campaign. So yep. um, another th interesting thing about Kickstarter, and I did not know this, is everyone was congratulating us. Oh my God, over 120,000, that's amazing. Um, you're in the top 4% of Kickstarters. Only 4% of Kickstarters make $100,000 or more in revenue. Wow. And, and that's just revenue. Lot. Like yeah. you can give stuff away and make a hundred thousand dollars. Like I, it was, it was, it was really surprising that that there's that, I mean, it's just a testament to how many Kickstarters there are out there. And there's, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of products out there that people are trying to make. And I guess it can make sense because you don't have to make the product until you, you know, commit to it, um, to making it. But it was a learning curve in a big way. So we're doing kicks, uh, kicks our crowdfunding in Japan and South Korea now, because it's, that's another thing to know is if you do a Kickstarter and it's successful and you're in top 4%, every Japanese person that works in the crowdfunding space will contact you and say, Hey, I want to run this in Japan. So, um, we, we wound up doing that. I got reference checked on the, um, from a, an industry partner or a guy that we know. And, um, I'm working with a retailer that does it. And so that's been, you know, they reshot all the assets and it's been really, really, really good. Um, and pretty hands-off for me, which has been nice because it was very hands-on on the U S <laughs> it was, it was all consuming. I'm still dealing with it. And like, I, if you want me to keep going on Kickstarter, I will. But one of the last thing here I'll mention is that they do not, the fulfillment side of Kickstarter is terrible you mean? have one opportunity they give you one survey to collect all the information from every customer 
and they don't get it up front, or at least my team uh, did not get it up front and they did not suggest I get it up front because that limits the conversion. You know, the mm -hmm. more you ask of anybody, the longer the survey, the less interested people are. So yep. fewer questions equal like, yeah, I want that thing. And so that's what they get. You get their email and uh, you get that and you have to go and collect the addresses, charge for shipping separately. There, and there's a, a litany of things and it's uh it's cumbersome yeah it's a lot of back and forth 1200 people to go get their addresses for and and phone numbers and how you know color choice you couldn't do that up front apparently or that we didn't do that up front and that is a nightmare because we need that before you go into production necessarily i mean we front-loaded it we're in production anyway and we're like kind of marketing the ones we were going to make anyway um so that wasn't a problem for us but if you didn't do that you mm -hmm. would be waylaid uh in terms of production time and it takes everything takes forever to make right now at a month well as much as the the headache was on on the uh, at least american kickstarter side like I, it sounds like the crowdfunding has been successful for you all and, and yeah hopefully it's continued success as you're you know into the asian markets as well um because yeah, yeah I, we've done some crowdfunding in the past for causes and like we realized it's like oh i just thought you turned this thing on and all the money flows in like no there's a lot of marketing <laughs> that goes behind this too for people to even find this this campaign and i think that's something yeah. that i know we didn't think about but i think others don't necessarily think about either yeah, exactly. And you look at a, a company that's got 2 million raised, um, you know, that's a, everybody here. Oh, they're up to two and a half million. It's like, well, how much did they spend on advertising? Because yeah. once it gets going, it's, it's not, nothing's automatic. Nothing. They make it feel like it's a great platform for what it is, but it, it's not a, uh, it's like Instagram. If you're not paying for your posts to be repopulated somewhere or at your ad to appear somewhere, it's not going to appear very, very many places. And that mm -hmm. these campaigns, I mean, they're, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to get to their, you know, millions in revenue, um, without a doubt, it is not yeah. happening without that. And so there's a whole game to it, but as a number, you, you got to really watch the numbers on it because it'll. I just learned so much. It's just like, <laughs> oh my God, I knew nothing about this. Now I know a lot, but I still don't feel like I know everything there is to know having done it delivered. But there's things I will watch out for and set up way differently. I feel like that statement alone is it like encompasses the entrepreneurial journey right there. Like that, that is just every, yes. that's, that's just the lifestyle. <laughs> learn as you go. Yeah. It's a uh, test, learn and repeat, <laughs> you know, I mean, well, you know, yeah. as we wrap up here, where can, uh, you know, you mentioned Instagram, where can people follow you all on social media? Um, where can, you know, people, you know, be able to go and buy the products, you know, buy the, the apparel and everything. Um, yeah, just give us all the places to be able to, you know, stay in contact and, and also be able to support uh, Kaitanica. Yeah, great. Uh, thank you for that. Um, our website is kaitanica.com. It's K-I-T-A-N-I-C-A.com. And we are at Kaitanica USA on Instagram and Facebook slash Kaitanica um, for Facebook. And my email is chris at kaitanica.net. I'm happy to hear from anybody that has questions or is interested in becoming a Kaitanica retailer. How about that? <laughs> but yeah, no, thank you very much for the time. It's, it's been a great conversation. Fun. Thank you, Chris Cronin, for joining us on Entrepreneur Struggle. And thank you for listening. 
You can learn more about Chris's work by going to our show notes, which is also where you can get more information on how to stay up to date on everything entrepreneur struggle. We're doing monthly live events, so make sure you're following me on LinkedIn to learn more. Thank you to my producers, Heather Johnson, Brittany Temple, and Mike Dubose. Thank you for the support from the LinkedIn Podcast Academy. And until next episode, stay safe and healthy because the struggle is real. Mm-hmm.